The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. We welcome you here to this uh, final session of Reaching Others. If you've been watching over the last few weeks, you will have seen Yomi and then Clive and Yomi. Yomi at first was talking about the, the need for us. Why, why are we reaching others? Why do we need to do that? And then Clive and Yomi both gave us a lot of practical understanding and help for helping us to reach others and reaching out. And I took some of that on board, some intentionality on board this week. I had to meet somebody on Monday and uh, I thought they had an interest in the Christian faith. Well, I, I feel that they do have an interest in the Christian faith. And I thought, how can I communicate to them? And you know, like you think, like, is there a phrase I can give or whatever? In the end, after some discussion, um, I said, would you like me to get you a Bible? And I thought, this is a great, you know, because that's a sort of like, not too aggressive. It's just like, would you like me? Uh, no, thank you, was the answer. Um, so I thought, oh, what do I do now? <laughs> but I thought, oh, that's fine. It doesn't matter if people say no. What matters is that we reach out to connect to people. And what matters is that we pray for people after they have said no. Otherwise, all we're doing really is saying like, unless somebody agrees with me, I'll accept them. Otherwise, I'll reject them. And that's actually not the right thing to do. We need to be able to be open to people, to reach out to people, to love people, and to pray for people. So I want to encourage you, continue to be intentional in your work and seeking to build relationship with other people. Now, often when we do reach out to people, sometimes they say like, no, as I had then. Other times they can ask us questions. It's, in other words, as you start to enter into the whole subject of talking about Jesus, talking about your faith, then it seems like there's a whole lot of questions that start to come up. And sometimes those questions can really follow a similar theme. And so this morning, we want to look at a couple of what people call challenging questions maybe, but really they're just questions that people have. And can I just say, never be afraid of questions, even if you don't know the answer. Questions are just the way that any of us seek to get hold of information and to process it in our minds. So questions are never a difficult thing. And the fact sometimes that you don't seem to have all the answers is not a worry. God is in control and he knows exactly what he's doing. So let's not be frightened of questions. But nevertheless, sometimes it helps us to deal with some difficult questions and to actually seek to gain some understanding from them. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at some questions like this. If God is so good, why does he allow evil? And how can you say Jesus is the only way? How can you say that the Bible is God's word and when it was written by people and what about all the different versions? And then what about dinosaurs? I'll just throw that one in. Now in truth, we may not have enough time to get through to the dinosaurs issue, but we can always look at that another time. Uh, but anyway, first of all, I want to lay a foundation. Before we answer any questions, I want to lay a foundation so that there's some background thinking in our minds. It always helps us to remember this. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. If you open up your Bible and you read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning, God. We need to understand the foundation of all things is that God is. 
He is uncreated. He is eternal. He goes on forever. Now, after that beginning, the verse actually says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's what it says, Genesis 1 verse 1. He created all things. And in Colossians 1 verse 16, we read this, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That's a very important verse for us to understand the concept that God is first and he has created everything else. Everything else has been created by him. And you know what? When God created, he said it is good. Except actually on day six after he had created man, then it is written, God said it is very good. So everything that was created, as far as God was concerned, was good. And then when he created man, it was very good. So that is what God thought of all the things that he had created. And I've got a picture for you of Adam right at the very beginning. There's Adam, and I'm looking at a stick man, actually. A stick man, and his center of him is a white heart. Because I want us to understand that right here at the beginning, God has created Adam, and Adam is very good. Not just that that means that that's what he does, he does very good things, but that God is so pleased with him. He's perfect, and he has been created by God. He has a continual relationship with God. There is no sin at all in the world, and Adam is an immortal being. He's going to live forever. That is how things were right at the very beginning. But there was rebellion in heaven. Now, at some stage, and I would say this is possibly after day seven, as day seven, God was resting. We don't read of God doing anything on day seven. And up until day seven, and as I said, day six, the end of day six, God's final words of his creation were, it is very good. So everything is perfect. There's no indication in what God says that there is any form of sin anywhere in creation. So after, what I believe after day seven... A heavenly being described in Ezekiel 28 verse 16 as a cherub, he decided, and this is what it says about him in Isaiah 14, 14. He decided within himself, I will make myself like the Most High. And again, Isaiah 14 verse 13, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. So there's a sense in heaven, this heavenly being, this cherub, decides within himself, hang on a second, I want to be like God, I want to be above God. He makes this decision. Now, that selfish desire and that attempt for equality with God was met with instant punishment and immediately cast out of heaven to earth. And now we see problems beginning on earth. So if we go from that picture of hell and let's come down from rebellion in heaven to rebellion on earth... And in Genesis 3, we read about Satan appearing as a serpent on the earth and talking to Eve in the Garden of Eden. He's saying to her that she should eat fruit from that tree which God said that Adam and her should not eat from. Let me quote to you Genesis 3, verses 4 to 5. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows 
that when you eat from it, that's from this tree, this forbidden tree, when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And of course, if we read the story, we read that Eve listens to what the serpent says and she decides within herself that she wants to take that fruit and so she eats it and she gives some to her husband and he eats it. Now, let's just be quite sure here. Eve was deceived by what the serpent had said to her. But Adam was never deceived. Adam made a decision, quite a distinct decision, which is different from Eve, and he decided to rebel, even though he was the one who received the command from God that he should never eat from that tree. He made the decision to rebel. He ate the fruit deliberately, and thus he deliberately broke the command of God. And it's through that action that the whole of the human race are subject to what is called original sin and they have sin imputed to them. Now what does that mean? So we've got these words original sin and imputed sin. Original sin. Original sin means this. The entire human race inherited a sinful nature because of Adam's act of rebellion. Romans 5 verse 12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone because everyone sinned. And because of this, we have sinful desires and tendencies, and therefore it's no surprise that original sin manifests itself in our sinful choices, our actions, our habits, our feelings, our thoughts, and it affects our entire lives. James 1 verses 14 and 15 says, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. That's original sin. Imputed sin. Imputed sin is the fact that the guilt of Adam, he sinned, he broke God's command, he is guilty. Now that guilt, rather than that just being with Adam, that guilt is also brought over, as it were, credited to our account. So we also are credited with the guilt of Adam's sin. Romans 5 verses 18 and 19 speak of this. Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. Everyone is made guilty because of that. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will become righteous. Now, it doesn't mean that we personally did the same sin as Adam. Now, we might have done in, uh, since, but We're guilty because we were found in Adam. And it's his sin being credited to our account. And in this way, we are all regarded as having sinned in the first Adam and we share his guilt. That is what imputed sin is. So original sin affects our character. We are totally corrupted. And there's a a phrase that we can read which says this, We are not sinners because we sin." We sin because we are sinners. Now, I read this recently, and it took me a few moments just to get hold of it. Hang on a second. I thought, I I do sin, and therefore I'm a sinner. 
So I recognize that I do things that are wrong and therefore that makes me a sinner. But you see, I've lost something when we just go down that route. What we need to understand is that sin is merely the fruit of the fact that there is a bad root in us. We have been corrupted. We are affected by what happened in the garden. There is original sin. There is imputed sin. We are not only defined as being sinners because of the corruption of our hearts, we are made guilty before God. That is the position of every single human being that has ever been created. Original sin affects our character. Imputed sin affects our standing before a holy God. And because of those... Two things. Everyone is guilty before God. Now let's have a look at this second picture of Adam in this situation. And here's Adam, and now you can see that his heart, instead of being white, is black. And that's because sin has corrupted him. He used to have a pure nature, but now he has a sinful nature. And so that's why it's just shown as a a darkened heart, to give us that understanding. But you see, this is everybody... Everybody has this. How do I know? How do you know? Because every one of us has a tendency to do sin. We all know that you never have to teach a child how to sin. Oh, hang on, I've got a new baby. Now, I must instruct this baby on the ways of sinning. No, 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 no. You don't do that. As a mum, that's the last thing you want to do. Or as a dad. What you're having to do is instead teach them the way that is right. No, we don't do that. No, that's not the right thing to say. Because, you see, it's a natural thing for us to walk in sin. Now, it doesn't mean to say that somebody can't do good things, even though they have this darkness in their heart. But it does mean that their position before a holy God is the same. We are all sinners and we are all guilty before God. So Adam has disobeyed God's command. Sin is committed. Therefore he is guilty. And now his nature is totally corrupted with sin. I hope you can see the predicament that mankind is in. This is the problem that we all face. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We are standing guilty before God. We have a nature that is totally corrupt. The more that you understand up until this point, the more that you will understand the wonder of Jesus. Our only hope is Jesus. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. You see, because you have a nature. And it's not something I can, well, let me just wash that away. Let me confess that away. No, 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 no. You can't do that. It's your nature. It's part of who you are. There's only one person who can help you. And that is Jesus. And that is why he came. Because he who had created you, he who loves you, he who is for you, wants to come and act and take away that sin that has come upon your life. He has come to cleanse you and to remove that sinful nature from you so that you might be able to live for him. We can be, and the phrase is, born again. You see, we've been sinned and we've been born with this corrupt nature. So there's a necessity for us to be born again. Unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. But when he gets born again, he can be entering into the kingdom of God because the nature, that sinful heart, is now being dealt with by what Jesus has done. 
1 Corinthians 15.22 says this, Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given a new life. I need to say, by the way, that Adam, when he was created, was immortal. But you see, when sin comes, death comes. Because the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. In fact, that's Romans 6.23, which I've got written down here. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. You see, we were dead in our trespasses and sins because the effect of sin is it brings death. We go from mortality to immortality as soon as we sin. But God wants to take us from mortality back to immortality that we may live for him and with him. Let me just show you a picture of the Christian today. We've been looking at our stick men, and this is just now not Adam, this is just any Christian. So we see that a Christian has received the power, has been born again, and so their heart, the inner part, is now back to as it was in the beginning. It's clean, and it's made ready so that this Christian can have relationship with God. His sin is restored forgiven, its stain is removed, the relationship with God is restored. However, I want you to notice this for every Christian. There is Satan on one side and there is God on the other side. Satan is using temptation and deception to still voice you because you see the sinful nature is still living within the flesh. It's been taken out. Our sins have been forgiven. But it doesn't mean to say that you do not have the effect of sin in your life. You still hear a voice that says to you, hey, why don't you do this? I know that's wrong. No, but why don't you do it? Because you know, actually, you quite like doing this. We all know the voice. And we need to recognize that every Christian is now in this battleground. Because you see, when evil entered, there is now two powers. There's the power of evil and there is the power of good. And we experience that. God is saying to us by his Holy Spirit, I want you to live this way. I want you to walk this way. I want to empower you and help you. There is life to be found in this way. And Satan, he doesn't tell you there's death to be found in his way. He just says, hey, look, that's all boring. Why don't you do this? This is what you want. This is what your heart has been looking for. This will satisfy you. And we live in this battleground now, and we have to constantly make decisions to live the right way, to live God's way. And God enables us to do that if we will listen to his voice. In fact, it's up to us to obey. Listen what Paul encourages us to do. Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17. He says this, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil. You see, the sinful nature wants to do evil. And it will keep driving you to do evil. Which is just the opposite, the verse says, of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. We want to do good, but we... Oh, hang on a second. If you read Romans 7, you hear of Paul talking about this battle where he says, A wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me from this body of death? recognizing that there is still the sinful nature alive within the frame of his body. But he says, thanks be unto God through Jesus Christ, because the power of Jesus and walking in the Holy Spirit will enable us to overcome and conquer the things of death. 
that Satan does. In Colossians, Paul has said that he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Now, why do I lay all of that out before you? I lay it out because it's the important foundation of our faith, and it's the understanding of what has happened. It even brings us to the point of this is where we are today, and this is how we're living today. We're living as Christians with those two voices, and we're seeking to go God's way. It'd be foolish for us to say, like, oh, I never have any temptation in my life. That's not true because we're in a battleground. But equally so, we have a whole group of people out there who know nothing about what Jesus has done, who are living still with original sin and imputed sin to them, which means they are automatically guilty before God. Don't they need to hear the good news so that they also may find the freedom of salvation which Jesus brings? Amen, of course they do. And that would be our desire. So I want to put this whole picture before you so we have a framework of understanding. Now let's ask this first question. If God is so good, why does he allow evil? Well, why, why didn't God just stop evil? Why did he not make it happen? Why did he create those powers? Why did he create those principalities in the first place? But you see, we've seen the way in which evil came into the world and how it was brought about. It wasn't brought about by God. It was brought about by the selfishness of Satan, the spiritual being, and the selfishness of mankind. But you see this. When God created, he didn't create robots. He gave everyone free will. Free will means you have the right to determine how you live your life. Now, I know in this country we have laws and regulations, and we've particularly felt that during this COVID period. Hey, I can no longer do the things I want to do, and there's been a restriction. But nevertheless... Nobody has said to you, you can't follow God or you can follow God. You are free to be able to make up your own mind. You can love God for all of the good things he's given to you or you can just ignore him. That is absolutely the choice you have because God refuses to say, I'm controlling you. He's going to say, if you want to come my way, if you want to know about me, if you want to love me and say thank you for what I've done for you, hey, that's great, but I'm going to allow you to make that decision. That is free will. It means there's not control. It means you have the absolute freedom to make up your own mind. But you see, because our hearts want to think about ourselves, hey, I want to do what I want to do. And of course, when we saw in the garden for Adam, Adam decided, well, actually, blow it. I want to find out about good and evil. I want to know about these things. I'm actually going to eat this fruit for myself. I'm going to ignore what God says. I'm going to do what I want. And at that point, he brings in sin. So you see, God is good. He's always good. He's not controlling. He gives free will. But God has allowed man to do what he wants, and mankind has decided within himself to act selfishly and to think about himself before God, his creator, and to put himself above God, his creator, and to do what he wants to do. And it is that which is evil and that which is against God, what God wants. 
But nevertheless, as we've already seen, even though evil came in through the decisions of what man has done, God himself has acted to do something to overcome that evil and to make a way where there was no way, but to make a way for mankind to come back into the fullness of relationship with God. So God is good, and he has allowed evil, and he has made a way for evil to be overcome through the power of what Jesus has done. How can we say that Jesus is the only way? Now, of course, this particular question is rooted from the fact that there are more than one religion in the world. And therefore, because there's more than one religion, there's automatically the assumption, well, all religions are talking about the same thing. They're talking about humans. They're talking about relationship with God. Therefore, they are all the same. But you see, the reason that I painted that picture right at the beginning is so that you can understand and know. And okay, you could say this is the Christian perspective. I, I, I freely allow you to do that. But you've heard the perspective of a Christian. And the perspective of a Christian is what I laid out to you. That in the beginning, God created mankind. He created him for relationship. And it's because there was only God in the beginning, the uncreated one, that mankind came into the world through that creation. Mankind rebelled. And there was no way. Mankind has rebelled against God. And there has to be, therefore, something to put him right with God. And the only person that has made that is God himself, because God has sent his own son to be that redeemer and to bring mankind back. Therefore, what I have put out before you is the fact that Jesus is the only way. There is no other good enough to pay the price of sin, as that old hymn goes, and to open the gates of heaven and let us in. Only Jesus is able to do that. So, I know that that seems narrow, but that's what I believe, and that is what I believe the Bible teaches. In fact, of course, Jesus says of himself in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Again, we could go into another question, which I ought not to throw in, but I'll just throw in partially. Is there such a thing as absolute truth? Yes, there is. Absolute truth is what God says. There is absolute truth. But in our world, there's not because you're allowed to believe whatever you want. Because don't forget, all mankind is corrupted by sin. And mankind says, I want to do what I want to do. So mankind sets the rules. But you see, there is truth. And the truth is this, that God is in charge. He is creator. He has made all things. But he is coming back again to judge sin. But he has made a way through Jesus. And what we're celebrating at Easter time is that. That even though there's evil in the world, Jesus came to make a way so that every person may find forgiveness of their sins, may know freedom from guilt, may know a change of their life, may know the life of the Holy Spirit coming into them. I want to take you back, and this is important for us because we live in the borough of Bromley, and I say that because Darwin's house is in the borough of Bromley. And this is something that we need to pray about, but that's, again, for another thing. Let me go back. 1859, Darwin publishes the book, The Origin of the Species. The Victorian age is quite critical into the thinking that we have now, so that's why I'm going back to this time. In this book, uh, it's generally understood the fact that so many creatures were similar... So many animals are similar in their underlying structure 
that that has been put down to them having a common blueprint. Now, people would say, well, that common blueprint is the fact they've all been designed by God and that's the way he made it, a unity of type. But Darwin argued that the similarities were down to them having a common ancestor. In other words, we all came from one, per- one being and we've evolved into other things. Rather than us being created, and although there's similarities, we were created individually. Not just humans, but I'm talking about all the animal kingdom. Creatures had different special features which suited them for their conditions of existence. For example, the wing of a bird for flying, the tail of a fish for swimming. Darwin argued that these structures were produced over time as natural selection rather than God's design. Now, of course, all of this is happening in the Victorian age. In the Victorian age, there's the rise of science. And science was growing up to see like, wow, mankind can answer questions. Mankind can give the answers for things. So there's the rise, not only in the Industrial Revolution, but there's the rise of science and the rise of scientific understanding. But that was really to the expense, as it were, of faith in God. The advances that were being made in science tended to cause people to look at science rather than God. And those challenges were particularly put forward because of theories that were being said by Charles Darwin, for instance. So since that time, we have seen a rapid advance in our understanding of science and technology. And these have enabled us to make many new discoveries. We all know that. I mean, gosh, if I look back at my own lifetime, there's been so many discoveries, so much, many advances in science over that time, it's, all, it's quite frightening to think about. But that, what that does is it gives this voice, the voice is that science has the answer and that science is truth. That's what it gives rise to. But science itself doesn't have all the answers. And of course, scientists themselves have got lots of things they can show as fact. And then on the basis of those facts, we need to make these assumptions because we're not quite sure, because we can't quite determine those things, but we believe through all of our formulas that that has to be the right answer. So therefore, science gives you the answers you are looking for. But you see, when I start talking about making assumptions and having to hold on to things, we're actually moving to a faith position with science just as we have a faith position with God. So what about the dinosaurs? Well, the dinosaurs are real. We've got bones to prove it. The dinosaurs were around. So they existed. You can see those bones in museums. When were the dinosaurs alive on the earth? Oh, now there's a question. You see, because if you want to believe that they have evolved and man has evolved, you have to say the earth is millions and millions and millions of years old to allow time for all of that evolution to take place. But you see, if we're looking at the Bible, we say that God created. And on the sixth day is when he created the animals. And therefore, on the sixth day is when he created the dinosaurs. And the dinosaurs would have actually been wiped out by the flood of Noah, apart from those who presumably went on the boat. And those ones would have become extinct since that time. Jonathan, can you prove all of that? I can't prove it. I'm preaching to you what I believe to be the truth from the Word of God. And the thing is, science can't prove it either. But science will tell you its theories about that. But you see, science is being proclaimed throughout the world, and the the studies that uh, 
Darwin did, are being proclaimed as truth. So you're only hearing half the story when you hear that. Unless you're hearing the gospel and what God has done, you don't know what other truth is out there for you to listen to. Genesis 1.25, God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. So the challenge is this when it comes to dinosaurs. Are they really millions and millions and millions of years old, or are they just thousands of years old? These are things for us to wrestle with. But you know what? You can be wrestling with the issue of dinosaurs or you can come right back to the foundation stone that I spoke about in the beginning. Do you know forgiveness of your sins and do you have peace with God? Because that is the door that opens relationship with God. And that relationship, as you continue in it, draws His presence and you can have fellowship with God himself and his presence can come and touch your life. So that this is no longer just faith, but there is a sense within which you say, I know within myself he is real, he is alive, and he can help me today. So with questions, there are always going to be questions. Sometimes we don't always have the answers. But there is always one who does have our answers. And we can always turn to him. Can I just say, if you're here this morning and you've, you've never given your life to Jesus, but something about what I've said this morning, even as you're listening, you're thinking like, I have got loads of questions I still want to answer and I don't understand everything, but this one thing I need, I need to have my sin nature taken away. I need to have my heart cleansed so that I can get right with God. How do I start with that? You start by saying a simple prayer and saying, God, I have sinned. I have done things wrong. You can even list the things that come to your mind, but I can assure you there's many more things that you'd have done wrong than you could even come to your mind. But you can say, God, please forgive me and come into my life and set me free. And I can tell you that everyone, especially those in this room, everyone who has ever done that knows the change that only he can bring from that moment as the power of God comes in to transform us and to change us. Because it's only Jesus that can set us free. Father, we just pray in the name of Jesus. For those here, for those watching, Lord, for any in their hearts right now that are saying, I want to know the forgiveness and the peace that only you can bring. I pray for them in the name of Jesus that you would empower them by the work of your Holy Spirit to bring them to that place of repentance and to bring them that gift of faith that would allow them to receive you, Jesus, and to know that you are real and to have the transforming power of your life come within them to set them free. I pray for them in Jesus' name that you would help them, encourage them and strengthen them. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. 
You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com. <laughs>